for those of you who don't know, we have a 10-year commitment with a village in Guatemala in which we forced COVID has made things a little bit difficult. Um, we were supposed to be going down in November. That, that is probably off the table right now. Um, so we're just trying to wait and see what that looks like. But we did get some pictures from them the other day. And we went down there in November to help them start building a health center. And what that amounted to was helping us helping fund them. But then Bama, myself, and Stephen Leopard, uh, we carried rocks down a mountain. Like they were breaking up a giant rock on top of one mountain, bringing it halfway down the mountain to use that to build the foundation. And so we got the privilege of carrying rocks down a mountain. And uh, we realized just how soft American we really were. And it was, it was pretty tough. But either way, they've got the foundation laid. They've got the walls up. Um, they're hoping by the time we get back there that it'll actually be finished. Um, there, the bureaucracy is very thick for the way that they have to build things, and pretty much the inspector has to be there the entire time, and so it's just been difficult. But they say things are doing well. Kakapek is unaffected at the moment. Uh, Guatemala City is not. Like, it's heavily affected, and so they're just kind of praying that it doesn't make its way into the village because they don't have, you know, great health care and things like that. So, um, but otherwise, things are looking pretty good. Um, and then another announcement, we are collecting diapers, wipes, and baby formula for DSS. Uh, the DSS office right here downtown, we, we try to serve them the best way that we can. We had planned on having a lot of in-person opportunities uh, starting about three months ago, but obviously other things started three months ago, and so we can't get in. And so in the meantime, we have been collecting uh, gift cards for them to feed them. They were super grateful. We were able to take them a ton of those because when kids are dropped off and they're just kind of in a holding pattern there, <clears throat> they need to be able to feed them and they don't have it in the budget. And so we were able to give them a lot of gift cards to take kids out to, you know, to places and, and feed them. Uh, but now they need their closet restocked. And so they need diapers and wipes and baby formula. So if you're at Target or if you're doing a, a shipped order or a whatever the, all the, the services are that are super awesome right now, go ahead and just maybe throw some diapers in there. Newborn all the way to size four. Uh, baby formula, obviously, it costs about as much per ounce as gold. Um, so if, if you want to do that, we'll be glad to take it. You can drop it off here on Sundays, or if you want to just shoot me a message or email us, we'll, we'll arrange pickup. Um, and then the last thing, I think, is just obviously COVID plans. Uh, they're kind of just, we're kind of making them on the fly. Um, we don't know what the city's going to tell us. We don't know what the state's going to tell us. So we're just trying to be as wise as we can with how we're doing things. Uh, we're going to continue doing what we're doing right now, at least until August. Uh, we may make some amendments then and bring some things back, but our fear is that we add some things and then we have to take them away. And so we don't want to do that. So we're going to continue to live stream. We're going to continue to welcome people. Um, you, you're free to wear a mask or not wear a mask. Just we ask that uh, we keep distance and be wise about how we, how we love one another right now. So um, I do have, I've got some friends who are pastors, and they have reopened their churches only to have to close them back down because of few out, huge outbreaks. We don't want that. Um, so we just want to be smart. Let's be wise, and um, let's do that. So glad to be back today. Uh, we're jumping back into First Peter after a little bit of a break for the 4th of July and for Father's Day. Um, just to kind of catch us up, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Uh, the whole point of this book is Peter writing to a group of not necessarily exiled believers politically, but just exiled by the nature of their life at this given point. They're, they're young believers. They're living all throughout modern-day Turkey, and a lot of them just have, they don't even really have necessarily a Jewish background. Some of them do, but they may have been kind of lazy Jews. Uh, we don't know that, uh, you know, for sure, but we just know that they don't know a whole lot about what it means to follow after this Jesus, whom now they're claiming as their Lord. And so Peter's taking every opportunity to encourage them, to prepare them, to give them identity, uh, to tell them what living this life looks like. 
And today in chapter 4, uh, he's con- continuing this idea of kind of preparing through instruction. And so we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to pray and uh, try to get my, get my train on the right track, and uh, we're going to go. So let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for loving us. Uh, we thank you that even in the midst of uncertainty, you're quite certain about the direction you want your kingdom to go. Uh, you are quite certain about the destiny that you have for each one of us. You are quite certain about uh, the love that you have for us and the links that you have gone to in order to assure that we can have hope. So, God, we thank you for your certainty in the midst of our uncertainty. Uh, God, we thank you for those that are at home today with kids and, and just kind of all spread out and viewing. God, thank you for uh, faithfulness of those who are continuing to, to keep Sundays special, to keep them unique, um, and to continue to pursue you together. Um, God, we love you. We thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So go ahead, and if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we're going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 11 and basically just look at, at three main ideas that Peter's trying to get across uh, to these believers. I'll go ahead and tell you, like, uh, there are a couple things in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 uh, that don't really appear anywhere else in Scripture. And it's not that they're contradicting, it's just that there are just certain things that they would have understood that we might not necessarily understand quite as clear. There's going to be one of those phrases here today. We're going to, so don't get tripped up when it comes up. We're going to talk about that, um, but just kind of preparing you for that. So chapter 4, verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so again, Peter's taking this opportunity kind of on the heels of this idea of the ways in which we're set apart as followers of Christ. The reason that we're set apart is so that others may know it's not just for our benefit, but it's for God's glory. And so he continues this idea today just uh, reminding them. uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that if we are following Jesus, persecution will come. And we talked about the reality of what persecution looks like for us is not the reality for the rest of the world that is following Jesus. Uh, The things that we call persecution is basically uh, schoolyard bullying at best compared to the rest of the world. Um, And and it's not to downplay words because words hurt. But I'll be honest, uh, there are Christians that are suffering far worse things than us for following Jesus. Uh, But in this place, he's not necessarily talking about... uh, Uh, dioko or the idea of being persecuted was more pasco, the Greek word of just suffering, pressure and weight that doesn't come from an outside force coming after us as because we're followers of Jesus, but just as a result of being linked to Jesus, the same suffering that he endured, most likely we're going to endure it to some extent. And so he starts off, he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, 
arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. So basically, he's like, since Jesus suffered and he thought about it a specific way, here's your job. Think about it the same way. Think like Jesus. Now, to the people that were devout Jews at this particular time, if they would have heard a phrase like this in reference to Elohim or Yahweh, and if they would have heard, think like God, they would have been like, whoa, what are you talking about? You're downplaying the characteristics of, of God, whose name we really won't even speak out loud. Uh, we'll write another word in the Old Testament instead of actually speaking it because we have this, this huge sense of reverence, which we should have, but at the same time, to hear think like God, it would have been very uh, insulting to the way that they worshiped. But in this place, and it's not an isolated incident, there are other places in the New Testament as well in which uh, we're told, like in Philippians chapter 2, it says uh, to have the same attitude as Christ as it, as it pertains to humility. Uh, we also have an instance in uh, Ephesians 5, and it says be imitators of God. And then in 1 John, it even says if we are united with God, if we abide in Him and He abides in us, or if we live in Him and He lives in us, then we should walk in the same way in which He walked. And so this is not a new New Testament idea, but he's just telling them, hey, as it relates to suffering, think like Jesus. Think like Jesus. Uh, because here's the, here's the <laughs> not even the punchline, but just the, the breath of reality here. We're going to suffer. It's going to happen. Um, by the nature of the fact that we live in a fallen world that is corrupt by sin, we're going to suffer. Then you add to that that we are Christ followers, and Christ suffered ultimately death and, and just being beaten beyond everything, physically, emotionally, all across the board, because the way that he thought, we're going to suffer that too. And it might not look like Jesus is suffering. We will probably not be scourged and, and hung on a cross. There were some followers that were, but that's probably not what we're destined to. But suffering is guaranteed. It will come. Just like we talked about persecution two weeks ago, uh, just assuredly as we have grace that leads to salvation, according to Philippians, we have grace that leads to suffering and persecution. Same idea here. It's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. To what level it happens, we don't know, but it will happen. But here's the thing Peter's trying to get across. He's like, look, here's the deal. You're united with Christ. You've been set apart. I'm trying to equip, equip you. I'm trying to encourage you. Here's what I'm telling you now. As it pertains to suffering, think like Jesus. Think like Jesus. And specifically, there's a couple things in the context here in the ways in which we think. But he says, arm yourselves or prepare yourselves in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered from flesh in the flesh has ceased to sin. That's that statement that we'll get back to. He says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The first way that we think uh, that we need to think about Jesus in reference to suffering is we have to understand that uh, suffering very often is not about my detriment, but it's about the glory of God. My suffering is not for my detriment, but it's actually for the glory of God. We can look at the ways in which suffering can do that if we're, if we're realistic and we're honest thinkers, because sometimes we're going to be persecuted. Sometimes the suffering can come in the form of persecution, but other times it can just come as a result of sin. And the way that we live through that, the way that we, uh, we get to have victory in that because of Jesus, that can bring God glory. That's just a tangible way. Like when we get through, we talked about the fact that we get to share our story a couple weeks ago. How did you possibly make it through this? We get to tell people that we didn't rest on our strength. We didn't rest on anything that we built. We rested on Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the way that he shores me up, the way that he equips me with power and authority, dunamis as, as the New Testament would call it, the word that we get dynamite from, that power that comes through the Holy Spirit. Man, this can bring great glory to God. But if we look at Jesus, we look at the way that at all times he always gave glory to the Father. He was like, not me, but, but God the Father. Not me, but dad, kind of an idea. So when we suffer, we have to understand, if we're going to think like Jesus, the first thing is that we understand that suffering is not 
always to our detriment, but it's to the glory of God. The second way that we're united with thinking like Jesus is in reference to sin and suffering. Like if we look at Jesus, the reason that Jesus suffered is because he wanted sin to be put to death. Like he didn't come to suffer because it was fun. He didn't come to suffer because it was, it was something he hadn't experienced. He came to suffer because sin was real. Sin had built a wall between us and God, and that wall needed to be torn down. And the only way that that wall would be torn down would be through the suffering and the death of the perfect Jesus. And so he came and suffered because of the way that he thought about sin. Sin needed to be put to death in the lives of those who would call on him as Lord. And so sometimes for us, like... Sometimes our suffering is for the same reasons, the same rationale. Sometimes we suffer so that sin may die. Because, man, I'll be honest, like temptation is difficult. Uh, living apart from sin is difficult, and sometimes that does. It, it can lead to, to suffering in the moment. But ultimately, if it's for the same reason, if it's for the same thought process so that sin may die, if we're united with thought in Jesus, then, man, we're thinking like Jesus. The third is this. The third in the way in which we need to think like Jesus um, is in the way of, of purpose. We need to think like Jesus in the way of purpose. Uh, it even says this going on, just looking at the context. Verse 2, it says, So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Jesus also often said, like if we read even that passage that we referenced a minute ago in Philippians chapter 2, we see that Jesus willingly loosed parts of his divinity, canoe, let go of them because he was willingly submitting himself to the Father. Willingly submitting himself to the will of God. Like for us, sometimes, sometimes suffering can be a part of God's plan. As much as that sounds terrible, like we go into the very next passage, and we're not going to read it today, but it says, Beloved, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. This is like the testing, but suffering can be a result of that. Sometimes it's so that God may do something. For the glory of God in someone else's life, for the glory of God in your life. But either way, uh, we need to be united with thought, with Jesus, in the way in which he views the purpose of God. His, God's purpose is more important than mine. I think very often we think that the way this world works and the way that Christianity works best is that I have a plan, I have a purpose, and I invite Jesus into that. But the problem is that's backwards, like, that's not Christianity, that's, that's like religion. Religion says, look, I've got good practices, I want to make them better, so I'm going to bring Jesus into my already good practices. But the reality is, uh, Jesus already has purpose, Jesus already has plan, Jesus already has mission, and if we're aligning ourselves with Him, that means that we're submitting to His purpose, His plan, His mission. And we say, no, Jesus, I'm not bringing you into mine, let me come into yours. And so the, the other way that we need to think like Jesus is, Man, God's purpose is purpose. Mine is just sometimes vanity. Mine sometimes is an ego trip. Mine sometimes is just, hey, look at me. But, but God, on the other hand, he has a plan that we can't derail. We might not understand it at all times, but, but his plan is perfect. And if there's a plan that we want to follow, that, that should be the one. So we need to think like Jesus, in reference to sin, be willing to suffer, maybe even be willing to die so that it may die in reference to purpose, to live for the will of God. And, and a couple things about just this idea about sin, too. I think even, even thinking the way that Jesus thought about sin, look at the lengths in which he went to to deal with sin, to deal with sin in people other than himself, and then maybe we need to ask it, what lengths am I willing to go to for sin? I mean, Jesus marched to the cross, died, not because he was broken, but because we were, what do we do with our sin? Are we willing just to 
forego a bit of pleasure so that sin may die? What lengths are we willing to go to? Man, Jesus dealt with it by dying and suffering. We deal with it by, with confession, repentance, and then being willing to leave it behind. Like a lot of times, I think that we think of repentance as simply turning from sin because that's what repent means, to turn. But there's also an implication that not only do we turn, but we begin to walk in that new direction. So we're also willing to leave sin, like abandon it in favor of Jesus. Here's the other thing. And, and by the way, that little, that little tricky phrase right there, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin, a better translation, to be honest with that, would be that uh, sin is no longer the controlling factor in my life. First John, similar idea. It doesn't mean that when we come to Jesus, our sin immediately stops, but it means that sin's no longer our master. Now we've submitted to another master, that master being Jesus. His burden is light. His yoke is easy, according to Matthew, and sin's no longer that master. So we're no longer, no longer controlled by that. So we think like Jesus, but then we continue. Here's the second thing that he was trying to tell the, the people in modern-day Turkey. He said, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, he's not giving a whole list of sinful behaviors, but he's giving the list that they would have seen most often where they were in their current context. Um, Here's the other thing. I think we need to understand that our past is past. Like our past. If we've been united with Jesus, our past is now past. P-A-S-T, and it's now P-A-S-S-E-D. Our past is gone. We even talked about that like four weeks ago in here. He's talking about their identity. Understand that you are not who you once were. You are now a new creation, according to Corinthians. Your past is past. And he said, we can no longer be controlled by our sin. We've let that go. And he says, we can't do what we see the Gentiles. Gentiles, capital G, meaning people that did not follow God at that time, maybe by, um, maybe by culture, but also maybe by how they were born. But either way, they, we can't do what they do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With us, the list may be a little bit bigger. You kind of have to ask yourself, especially if you came to Christ later in life, you have to ask yourself, what characterized my life before Jesus? Like, what were the behaviors? What were the things that I, that I went after? What were my passions? What were my pursuits? What was I characterized before Jesus that is no longer applicable now? If we are no longer controlled by sin, if sin's no longer our master, what is the stuff that used to be our master? You know, I mean, I, I think in the American context, it could be things that sound way less offensive, but are equally as offensive to God sometimes. And again, I'm not bashing America, but the American view on Christianity in, in some ways is, is just off. Man, if we're controlled by how much money we make or how hard we want to climb the corporate ladder and we invite Jesus into that, then man, we're, we're suffering from idolatry of various kinds. And he even lists that in the end. Lawless idolatry for us in the United States, for us or anywhere around the world. I mean, it can look like so many different things. It doesn't have to be confined just to this list. But what are the things that used to be our master? Because those can't be our master anymore if Jesus is. Can't be our master anymore if Jesus is. And I think it will vary. Like, I think, man, I think each of us struggle with different things. There may be some universals with pride and greed and, and, uh, and temptation towards sexual sin, all those things. But, but all of us are going to be mastered by something a little bit different before Jesus. And I'll be honest. I mean, I came to Christ at six years old. So before that, I don't, I don't really remember robbing any banks um, or killing a man in Reno just to watch him die. I don't, I don't remember those things. Um, it, it, I, I, I'll have to ask my parents on that. But I do know that I was, I was captive by fear and worry. 
Like I was this guilty kid. Like I was always just, man, confined by my guilt. I felt like there was something I could do that I could not atone for. Now I look back at that and I see that that was God dealing with me. But, but I remember just this idea of just overwhelming fear. Can I say that it's completely gone? I can't, but I can say it's not my master anymore. What are the things that used to control you, that used to rule you? Maybe if you were like me and came to Christ early, you don't necessarily look at yourself as a case study, but you can look at your surroundings as a case study. You can look at the rest of the world, not in a judgmental way, but, but just in a standard way, looking and seeing what controls my neighbors, what controls my coworkers for those who do not follow, for, follow Jesus. What is the, the overriding factor of their happiness and their joy? It says that our past is past for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do. And in verse 4, it says, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. The other understanding about our past being past, people from your past, when they see your present, if you're now united with Jesus and you're actually pursuing him, they're going to be shocked. I wish Kip Kaiser was here because I would see him just nodding his head in the back. He might even raise his hand and shout because Kip, like dramatic transformation in his life, huge transformation, and there's countless others, but Kip just comes to mind because I know he had come up to me and he'd be like, Yeah, man. People in my past, they think I'm crazy now, and that's okay. Because Kip will tell you, I was a bad man, and he, he, he was. But now he's united with Christ. His past is past. But when people from your past find you, don't, don't be surprised when they look at you and they're like, I don't, I don't believe it. It's okay. I think that's proof of God at work. As a matter of fact, the greatest proof that we will ever see of God is a changed life. It's great that people from your past see you now and they're shocked, they're surprised. And you know, even, what, even after this, like it's not words that we would use. It says, don't even be shocked if they malign you. We don't, we don't use that word a whole lot, but they may even make fun of you. Well, again, we'll call that in the United States, we'll call that persecution. But in the rest of the world, they'll be like, no, nah, that's not persecution. But still, they, they might. Words hurt. They sting. I'm not really good at political correct stuff, but I mean, still. They're just words. But anyway, they don't be shocked. They may come after you with words. But again, it's proof about the changed life. It's, it's proof. Our past is past. Here's the third thing that we need to look at, and this is when it gets really, really good. Uh, in verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be... Well, get to that in a second, the end of all things at hand, like this was a statement that would pop up a whole lot in the New Testament, talking about the end that was to come, and I think what we have to understand about that is if we think about the length of time that has passed between now and then, um, we think, man, these guys were way off. But again, even in the inspiration of these people to write the New Testament, like time is just a whole lot different for God than it is for us. And even 2,000 years since Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascension, in the grand scheme of time, of this history, like that's a blip. And even James tells us that your life is but a vapor. Maybe even put this in the context of your life, like our end, my end, your end. Man, it's, it's imminent. It's close. Like we're only here for a little while. We don't have much time. The other thing that Peter's trying to get across to these believers is we need to live with a sense of urgency. We need to live with a sense of urgency. Somebody accused me uh, yesterday, we, we did a drive-by baby shower, and uh, we were talking to Jake Sinopoli, and I even forgot that I did this. I took him, when they had their first baby, um, I went by the hospital and took him the biggest sub sandwich that I could find from Jersey Mike's. It was like an 18-inch sub, fully loaded, 
um, I mean, straight up Jersey, you know, like Jersey. And, and I dropped it off, and I remember him taking a picture now beside their newborn, and Jersey Mike's even shared, the, uh, shared that image or liked the image on Instagram and put it on their page. But, but either way, somebody said, um, Jake, how many days did you eat on that? He was like, man, two or three days. And then my wife said, well, my husband would have finished it today. And I'm like, well, yeah, why, why hold food in the refrigerator if you can eat it today? There's no point in that. And, and I think we need to live like that to a degree. We need to finish the whole sub, you know? And I don't care if it's 18 inches and double meat. I don't care. Like, we need to live with a sense of urgency. That sandwich may not be there tomorrow. But in, in reality, the sense is this, that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the next week. Our life very often is but a vapor. And so he's telling them, he's like, you don't have long, I can guarantee you that. And so in light of that, therefore, here's the first thing, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The very first thing he says, pray earnestly and pray with discipline. He's giving them direct instruction. He's like, look, you don't have long, so if, you, if you're going to spend your time well, man, the first thing I'm going to tell you is pray earnestly and pray with discipline. Why? Because what does prayer do? Is prayer like rubbing a magic lamp and trying to get God to bend to our will? No, it's quite the opposite. Prayer is us aligning ourselves with God's will. It's us saying, God, what do you want? Okay, now that I know, I agree with you. I want that too, so much that I'm going to ask you for it daily. I'm going to work for it daily. Faith without works is dead. I believe that you're going to do it, but I'm also going to pursue it. He says the first thing, if you know that your life is short, if you know that your time is brief, man, pray earnestly and pray with discipline. Pray like you mean it and pray often. Seek to know the will of God. Seek to align yourself with the will of God. And it even takes us back to that very first part. If we're thinking about the way that Jesus thinks and we're trying to think like Jesus, looking at God's will being more important than ours, we just need to ask very often, God, what do you want? And then make me want what you want. Pray earnestly. Pray with discipline. He goes on and he says in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. This is a one another statement, so he's talking about the body, the body of Christ, those who are also united with Jesus. The second thing, he says, love each other and do it well. Love each other and do it well. And then that phrase that we love to quote all the time, very much out of context, love covers a multitude of sins. And if, even though it's out of context, like it's a true statement. Like, even though my intentions may have been good, but I, I, I tripped over my words, if the person knows that I love them, they're going, to, they're going to be okay with it. Like, even in this, man, even in the context of places in which we're pursuing uh, racial justice, sometimes you may not know what to say. But the fact that we love people, that we love people even in the absence of our words, man, I think that means a lot. Man, one of my buddies here in town, like, um, I was just talking to him when, when all of this started. I think I've even mentioned him. He's a pastor in Malden. Um, and, and I just said, man, I, said, I, don't, I don't know what to say to you a lot of times. I'm like, I don't, I said, I'm not afraid of offending white people. I said, but I don't want to offend you with my words. He's like, man, I know you well enough that I know that what you're going to say to me is out of love. And he says, even if you use a wrong word or a wrong phrase, I'm okay with it. Man, love each other well to the point that even if we misstep or we misspeak, and it's not quite sin, but it's just off, people see our heart and they say, you know what, I know that you love me. I'm good with it. In that sense, yes, love does cover a multitude of sin. And again, going back, our time is short, but a vapor. 
Love each other well in the meantime. With whatever time that we have left, love each other well. And if we go all the way back to Acts, we see that what happened as a result of the early church loving each other well, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Love is often going to be our very best apologetic. Love for each other is going to be the very best way in which we show the love of Jesus to a world that doesn't believe. Love each other well. While we have time, love each other well. He continues and he says, and show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Man, the NLT, I love the way that it translates this particular verse uh, because it says, welcome each other into your homes if you need a place to stay or something to eat. Hospitality. We usually use that as a word of gifting, but we don't talk about what it means. Man, those people that are gifted with hospitality, you know them. You know, they're going to leave their door unlocked, they're going to leave their fridge stocked, and they're just going to say, hey, come on in. You don't even have to tell me you're coming. I love those people especially when they have 18-inch Jersey Mike subs in their fridge. But either way, like, I love those people. I think that's a gift that we should all ask for. You know, Paul even tells us, like, if, if you've got this spiritual gift, you should honestly pray for more. I think that's one we should all pray for, like the gift of hospitality. Not to treat our homes like a castle, but to treat our homes like a hospital. To treat our homes like a place of rest. To treat our homes like a, a place of respite for people. He says, love each other well, we're short on time, and show hospitality. If someone needs a bed, give it to them. If someone needs a meal, give it to them. And Man, that's hard. My bed's my bed. My food's my food. I'm like Joey on Friends. Nobody touches Joey's food. Like, that's me. Like, don't, but my heart needs to change. Like, I'll be honest. I will give people food, even my kids. But, I mean, I'm serious. But, but to a degree, there's always that cringe. Like, eh, but I, I, my heart needs to change. I think the people here, their hearts probably needed to change too. And so that's the reason Peter is saying, hey, time is short. Love each other well. Man, love each other with everything you've got. Show hospitality to one another. And sometimes, you know what hospitality looks like? It's not waiting for someone uh, to be at the door. It's inviting them to your door. You see the difference? Not waiting for someone to be at the welcome mat, but actually inviting them there. Man, imagine what a world would see that if we're so free with our stuff, for one another. What would the world think? Again, we're set apart for a purpose, a purpose not me, a purpose not you, a purpose is the growth of the kingdom through confession of Jesus as Lord, repentance of sin, relying on the very Spirit of God to make us more like Jesus. Imagine how far that will go with the world if they see us just saying, hey, my stuff is your stuff. What do you want? What do I got? It says time is short, and do it without grumbling. That's the phrase on the end. Woo! Do it without grumbling. Man, we're good at sharing our stuff if we can vent about it later, right? Man, I loaned somebody my 5 8 inch socket, which I brought up a couple weeks ago talking about Father's Day, and it never came back. Somebody sent me a, a spare 5 8 inch quarter-inch socket the other day, which was pretty funny. I, I wasn't asking for that. I, have, I don't lose my sockets. Um, but anyway, it um, doesn't happen. You have, you have to buy a whole new socket set if it does happen. But either way, like, we're good with being hospitable, if we can grumble about it later, if we can vent just a little bit, he says, no, 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 time is short. Invite people in, give them a bed, give them food. Don't say a word. Maybe even the word that we say is, what, do you, what else do you need? How long do you need to stay? And then he says this in verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And then he lists a few. He says, as good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
He says, some of you, you got to understand, if you have come to Jesus, gifts have been given to you. You know, we, go to, we can go and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we can see a fairly exhaustive list of what those spiritual gifts are. These are not talents. No, these are not learned skills. No, these are not innate, uh, innate like genetic level things that we have. No, this is when we come to Christ, he takes something from his vast resources, supplants it into you, and he says, I'm giving you this so that you may serve one another. He gives to some teachers, he gives to some the gift of hospitality, the gift of giving, the list can go on and on. He says, but whatever that gift is, short list here, bigger list within the rest of Scripture, whatever that list is, use it to serve one another. Don't just sit on it. So if you have the gift of prophecy, which is not as scary as we think that it is, man, use it for the betterment of those that are around you. If you have the gift of teaching, use it. And when you speak, speak as though it is God speaking. Have confidence in the gifting that God has given you. If you have the gift of of whatever it may be, use it and understand that the strength to use that gift is not yours. It's not your neighbor's. Believe it or not, it's not even the church's. It's just God's. God is who enables you to do those things. So use them with that confidence. Use them with the confidence that it is God's strength that is flowing out of you to take care of one another. Man, we've seen it over the past five, four months. Um, we've seen people that really do like have the gift of giving. Like, I don't know, like, I'll, I'll just throw this out there. In the life of Origins, um, over the past four months, like giving is at not just an all-time high, but like a ridiculous all-time high. Like March, highest giving month ever in the life of Origins. April, next highest giving month ever, like broke March's record. May was like $50 off. June, oh yeah, it broke all three of those. Crazy. And you know what we've been able to do as a result of that? We've been able to give it away. I mean, like, because we give percentage-based of everything that comes in. Like, as a church, we give away 10% of everything that comes in for us. Uh, We want to model that behavior. There's no biblical mandate for us to do that, and we're not tooting our horn, but we believe that that's what God's called us to do. So we support church planters. We support local missions here in Greenville. We support other things. And and so, man, we've just been, as money comes in, we just give it away. It's amazing, the gift of giving. And we've had people call us, and they're like, hey, is there a family struggling right now? And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. And we're like, yeah, we've got a couple families. And, uh, hey, can we help them out? Absolutely. Do you need to know who they are? Nope. We'll just give you the money and you give it out. Okay. And, man, for those people who have done that, we want to say thank you. And, and for those people who have received it, they would like to say thank you. And it's been fun. Like, I'll be honest, it's, it's fun to give people checks. Like, you should try it sometime. You should write a check and just give it to somebody. It's fun to watch. Say, hey, you know what? I feel like I should give this to you. It's the most fun you could ever have. It's amazing. The gift of giving has been seen uh, throughout this family, and it's been beautiful to watch. And some people are just giving more than they've ever given before, uh, just hopefully because they're trusting that we're using it on stuff, and we are. Like, I would love to tell you, and and if you want to ask, I'll I'll tell you. Just been able to give it away. Mm. But then he said, but understand that, that all of these things, the end of verse 11, it says, in order that in everything... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever. It brings us back to this idea like all of these things that I just told you, all of this instruction that I just gave you, by the way, it's not for you. I mean, it's for you to use and it's for you to enjoy, but it's for God's glory. And it's to ensure that that his glory, man, it doesn't just last for a little while, but it lasts forever. Forever. So imagine being a young Jewish believer, a Jewish believer who's lived in a system for so long, maybe even loosely, and you hear the first thing is, you need to think like God. What? 
and then saying, hey, in the way in which you contribute, you, you get to ensure that God's glory, man, it echoes for eternity. There's such weight there. There's such weight to know that we, as vessels of the Spirit of God, we get to participate in this. We get to say the name of Jesus. We get to do the work of Jesus. We get to think with the mind of Jesus, and we get to love with the heart of Jesus. That is nuts. I mean, it is. Like, if you ever stop to just remove yourself, maybe you've let this become like orthodoxy and just entrenched in you, and it doesn't excite you anymore. Like, we need to step back every now and then and listen to the things that we're being told. The fact that we're being called Christ to other people, not that we get to save them, but we get to bear the name of Jesus, we get to have the power of Jesus working through us, and we get to carry out the mission of Jesus here now as unworthy vessels, as people marred and stained by sin, but God sees something bigger. That is nuts. It's crazy. That's the reason the gospel is so different from everything else. It's so different. Because every other religion or every other system says, you need to do this so that you can earn this. And this, this life of following Jesus says, I've already earned it. Now I'm going to let you go and do what I started. It's crazy. It's crazy. Mm. So that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus. To him be the glory, dominion forever. Amen. That is good. If you're a a new believer, I want you to understand you're not the only one that's ever struggled with what do I do now. You're not alone. I think probably if we're all honest, a majority of us struggle with that question like, Okay, now I'm, I'm with Jesus. What do I do? That's the reason Scripture is so beautiful. Because it tells us what to do. Peter was taking time and, and, and the inspiration from God to write to these new believers, but it's just as applicable to us. What do we do? We think like Jesus. Man, we let the past be in the past. And we understand that we've been equipped to work and to do for the glory of God. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for uh, loving us in spite of ourselves. Thank you, God, that when you look at us, for those of us who are, uh, have confessed and turned to Jesus in spite of ourselves, God, you see him. You see his life in us, and you count us worthy. God, thank you for just the craziness of the gospel, that it is so no- abnormal, that it's not, it shouldn't be real, but you, you tell us that it is. God, thank you for the assurance that uh, we can be used by you, that we can be known by you, and God, that we can lead other people to you too. I pray that we would take the, the calling and the identity of Jesus seriously. And God, I pray that this city would be different as a result. We love you, we thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray, amen.